Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloane. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 94 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Please welcome back Spoiler Queen Ruth. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> so we're going to discuss Cress chapters 52 and 53. But first, Ruth, it has been forever. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh... It's been so long, people on Patreon were starting to ask when Ruth was coming back. <laughs> I mean... I mean, yes, this this has been a question that has been asked, posed not only to you, but also to me. Like, um, when are you coming back? We miss you. The thing is, <laughs> there's a lot of people on Patreon now, so that now that people on Patreon get to be guests, I have to schedule everybody in there. Exactly. And, you know, to be fair, you are still a, a budding podcast and you want to make friends in other podcasts. So, you know, yeah. I can't I can't be the center of attention all the time. I get that. <laughs> I accept that that but is at least my fate. Some of the time. <laughs> That's why but, we have to do bonus episodes together. So yes. everybody still gets their Ruth quota. Yes. And I mean, <laughs> the, the plus there is that um, the Patreon members get to hear me, but like the general public doesn't. So true. Well, tell the general public and Patreon what you have been up to. I don't even remember the last time you were on. I feel like it was summer. Um, hold on. I'm in my notebook, and I've got my Are notes you? from the last episode that I was on, which was apparently a lot of notes. Um, episode 63, uh, chapters 6 and 7 of Cress. So the beginning of press, basically. Wow, so a while ago. <laughs> so like a hot minute. Um, yeah, so uh, this, uh, what, that had to have been like, shoot, I don't even know. Um, okay, the notes I have from before that are like from like July. Whew. So like we started Cress in like July, I want to say. Yeah, that makes sense because that was chapter 6 and 7. Yeah, I want to so, say we started Cress so in like probably June August. July. That was yeah. probably August. Okay. Um So what have you been up to since August? Oh wait, you have a boyfriend now? Yes, I do. You want to um, talk about, is that okay? Do you want to tell all of our listeners about your own captain? Oh, um, I mean, he, he just, <laughs> he just walked out the door. So obviously he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> a very Quentin of him. <laughs> right. He was like, no, but I have been telling him that he has to be quiet. Um, <laughs> so, so he was probably just like, I'm just going to leave the apartment and then I don't have to be quiet. Me and the podcast take priority. That is correct. We got um, here first. <laughs> that is also correct. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. I, we his name is Gabe. Um, he's he's a redhead. 
I, I didn't do it on purpose. It, I know. I'm just saying. It just happened. That are the best. <laughs> I mean, I although them. it does seem like fitting since we are birthday Twinkies. We are. So, of course, we have to be boyfriend Twinkies. Wait, that sounds weird. That's not what I meant. Okay. No. Um, moving on. I made it off. Destroy that. Don't reverse it. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in there. Let's have everybody laughing at that thing five <laughs> seconds into the episode. I mean, fair. Um, yeah, so we met. Um, it, it was it was not, um, it was mid-pandemic, so obviously uh, it was not a, just like a cute little meet-cute. Um, it was very much a, we met on a dating app. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he literally opened the conversation, like actually looked at my profile, um, and saw that I had on there that I love the princess bride and opened the conversation with, um, a joke about there being, um, rodents of unusual size in New York. I love it. So, I mean, honestly, it was, I mean, if you could say first uh, love at first sight or love at first type, I mean, I feel like he's he's very much a nerd. Um, I mean, he talks about some stuff that is, I'm just like, I just nod my head and say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he gets he gets along really well with Morgan and with my other friend Sandy, and he nerds out with them. So. I'm I'm on the fringes. <laughs> um, that would be Scamp barking, so I guess he doesn't approve. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, boyfriend. Scamp also came first, <laughs> <laughs> or Scamp just in- insists that there's a bunny rabbit in the yard or something like that. Or like my it rained yesterday, and my neighbor Jose is very adamant about keeping his cars like clean and shiny. Mm. So he might be in the driveway washing the car, and <laughs> usually if the boys go to the window, he like can give them a wave and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so um, we have been dating since August. It will next week. It'll be um, coincidentally uh, our anniversary is literally two days before Valentine's Day. So it's the twelfth. So. We'll be celebrating six months, Aww. basically for Valentine's Day. So you know that's cute. Um, yeah, we um, never celebrate Valentine's Day because it's like a week after our anniversary. So I mean, that's that's fair. Yeah, I like to just go to Target and like get discounted chocolate the day after. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's fair. Um, also, like <laughs> honestly, I've never. I don't think I've ever been in a relationship that lasted through Valentine's Day. Oh, interesting. Like, it either started after Valentine's Day and, like, went through the summer and then ended. Or, yeah, it just did, like, so this is the, like, he actually asked me at lunch the other day. He was like, what do you want to do for Valentine's Day? And I, like, looked at him and I was like, I, I, I don't know. Um... I got no ideas. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I was, <laughs> I was like, dinner, 
<laughs> question mark because every place will be busy and crazy yeah I was like I was like honestly like I think maybe we should just go out on our anniversary like which is because that's like a, a Thursday or a Friday and and do something for our anniversary and not even worry about Valentine's Day right because honestly it's not because it's just going to be ridiculous like it's just going to be ridiculous and frustrating and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I get that. Uh, and and it also doesn't help. So uh, my anniversary is the 12th, but uh, Morgan's birthday is the 13th. It is. I already sent her a card. So I was like, I was like, I mean, really, normally this is like Morgan's weekend. I do stuff with Morgan. <laughs> That's fun. I love um, that. You could do a double date. Yeah. And well, and that's the thing too, is that Morgan normally, uh, they normally just do like a cookout for or something for her birthday and cause they don't celebrate Valentine's day cause her birthday is the day before. So they just do if, as long as she gets a birthday present and like a card from Ryan, they're good. They're, they're on good terms. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so this is, this will be an interesting first, like, milestone anniversary. I'm excited for you both. So. We had our anniversary yesterday. Yeah. Did you guys have fun? We had so much fun. We went all the way to Mobile, Alabama, which is, like, 45 minutes from here. Um, (laughs) You guys are going to love how romantic my husband and I are. We got (laughs) Panda Express. <laughs> because but, we that's something, but see, that's something you both love. And so yes. does it his, matter? His coworkers were teasing him about it. They were like, that's what you guys are doing for your anniversary. He's like, wow, big spender. Like <laughs> There are some but, expensive things at Panda. Don't like let's not get like, let's like knock it. We got we spent like nineteen dollars because we even got spring rolls like Ooh, yeah, you're not, you do not have to ask it. <laughs> so yeah, we went and we got we got panda and had a little picnic and then he took me to this like teeny tiny little bookstore um that I had so much fun walking around in. I got myself a couple of books. Um and then we went to Costco and, and bought probably more than we needed to. <laughs> but it's Costco and that always happens. I mean um, sure. we watched Shazam together which was super fun um that's the one i still haven't watched it was adorable but also i didn't realize that his power is literally electricity so there was a lot of closing my eyes (laughs) (laughs) i was like this will be so cute it's like a little kid that turns into a grown man with powers and then like 10 minutes into the movie we're like why is his power strobe lights that doesn't seem cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, so we had uh, <laughs> mozzarella sticks for dinner. It was literally we just had like a box of mozzarella sticks for dinner. It was delicious, uh, and and then we had our meeting. This <laughs> this is something a couple of our friends make fun of us for. But mm-hmm. uh, on every anniversary, we like to have like a <laughs> like a like a meeting. <laughs> like that was our year <laughs> and like what are our expectations for next year like both for our, our individual selves and for ourselves as a couple so we call it like our year-end review <laughs> that's so cute though honestly like you like 
people can make fun of it all you want, but like that's adorable. But that's also a good way to stay on the same page. Well, people are like, oh, that's too businessy. And I'm like, I mean, you know, my husband and I don't fight. And this is one of the reasons why, like, because we sit there and we're like, okay, you need to work on this or, you know what I mean? Like, we went over our whole year together. We had one fight this year, which was entirely keto related. Uh, (laughs) Those Snickers commercials where people get really mean when they're hungry. That's my husband. He's an a hole. <laughs> but whatever, I got the Taylor Swift cardigan out of it, so cool. Um <laughs> That sounds like a great compromise right there. I know, right? He's like, I felt bad about hurting your feelings, so I bought you this. Like, okay, fine by me. I wasn't that upset, but <laughs> I mean I think that's heartbroken. You could buy me more things. <laughs> I I think that's a really great way to like stay on the same page with each other. But also, like, that's kind of how we celebrate every year is we just talk about, like, how our year went. What do we have expectations for in the next year of our lives? You know, like, by this time next year, I will have graduated with my master's and my certificate and my licensure. So hopefully I'll have, like, a super cool job and um, we'll also be moving to a new base. We don't know where yet, but we have a couple of hopeful fingers crossed things going on. And, um yeah, we just have we've got some stuff to figure out. We're excited about our our future. We had a good year together. There's, yeah, and especially um, considering everything that was horrible this year. That's, I know, right? Like that's a great way to do it here for people. Yeah, and it's not looking at it like right at January first because it's on your anniversary. So like you had a good time, you celebrated, and then you got to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I know we've had friends before that are like, oh, that sounds so unromantic. And I'm like, no, it's just, you know, every relationship, every friendship, you have, like, different goals for yourself than you would as a, as a couple. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about, like, hey, this is my goal for myself in the next year or two. Like, what, do you, what are you working on? And then we also talk about, like, well, what do we want? for us as a as a family for the four of us because we're moving in a year and we don't know where so we were talking about like well we'd love to find a place near a park for the boys and something with a big backyard for us and the boys but like a private backyard because Mm -hmm. the dogs like to bark um be great if we had somewhere with a bathtub big enough that my ginormous husband could actually take a bath yeah, <laughs> not my a thousand feet tall. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's always worked for us. I actually look forward to that. It's also like a way to get compliments, and I love being told I'm a good wife. So yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's also it's also nice too because it like if you guys, it, you know, I know that I have a hard time setting goals and keeping them. And so that's I have a, a hard time narrowing stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that sounds like an easy way to like help keep yourself reminded of your goal, but then also uh-huh. each respect respectfully hold each other accountable. Yeah, I mean the main thing with us is just I sometimes get overly ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think I've talked before about how I, I tend to put a lot of effort into succeeding at things and doing well. And so my self-care sometimes takes a backseat and that's not a good thing. 
Um, so one of the things we often talk about is how can we try to incorporate more self-care into our lives. And, and that's something that I'm always working on. One of the biggest things that's been helping me is writing my book. Um, it does take up an enormous amount of time. The other day I forgot to eat for like six hours because I was just like type, 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 type. Um, <laughs> but um, I've, I've also found that it's been very helpful in terms of like communicating with myself and, and learning more about myself as a person and as a writer. And so that's kind of my, my me time that I've kind of carved out for myself. Yeah. And that's, and that's good self-care. Yeah. I so. agree. Speaking of self-care, what are you reading at the moment? What is your book of choice? Okay. So I've been a very bad human. Oh, um, and I don't know if it's just because of quarantine or if it was the switch from working from home. I'm not really sure what it was, but I haven't read a book since like July. Oh, wow. Um, I think I would like, have palpitations. Other- other other than like doing like my chapter notes this that's the first time that like I've opened a book or like listened to an audiobook in probably wow. at least at least 6 to 7 months I think for me I've just gotten so run down with school sometimes that I like have to give myself a chance to read yeah and now that I have the the indoor bike it's like that's my my exercise and my read time you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, so I've been, you know, really bad about that. Um, but I just, um, we went to Barnes and Noble the other day, um, because I have been quote unquote, uh, for all the listeners, I have been off work all this week. Um, because I got my wisdom teeth out on Monday. You did. And how are you doing? Much better. Um, it's just, it's, the only thing that's just been a pain is that because of the incision sites, I did not realize, I think, that with uh, the incision sites that it was going to limit, like, how much my mouth would open and close. Oh, so, like, yeah. So, like, I can't take, like, big bites of anything. Or um, yawn. Or yawn really big, or like last night I blew my nose and my ear got all like, you know what's what's the word that where it like got all uh, the thingy? I don't know what. Like I couldn't pop, pop my ear. I couldn't pop it. Oh, okay. And yeah. then I tried to like open my mouth so I could pop my ear, and I couldn't. Then it hurt to open my mouth because I was trying to, like, I was like, oh, this is maddening. (laughs) And unfortunately, it'll take, like, quite a few days for that to wear off. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been, it'll be a week tomorrow. Um, So That pretty much happens to me every time I go to the dentist because I always have to get knocked out for them to do any work. But I also have, like, a really small mouth. So... They have to like use the um these they're called gappers and they insert them to open your mouth bigger so that they can get in there and do stuff mm-hmm. and it is a lot of pressure so for the like 
four or five days after any dental appointment, like I can't open it more than like, I don't know, like an inch without it hurting. Mm. So it's like mashed potatoes, cream of wheat. <laughs> yeah. Like anything soft that doesn't require a lot of chewing, that doesn't require my mouth to open a lot. Brushing my teeth is like a nightmare. Anytime I sneeze or cough, like it's just horrible. Yeah. And uh, it didn't really help uh, that my lovely boyfriend was like ordering like we would order from McAllister's or Panera Bread and I would get oh soup and get, like but then he'd get like this really yummy looking sandwich and I'd have to sit there and like eat my <laughs> soup like because then you He's know because then uh, like Quentin <laughs> like, like Quentin is always on a diet and I'm always like eating tacos and <laughs> making cookies or blueberry muffins he's just like chewing on a carrot like i hate you (laughs) see but that that's a choice that he personally makes i did not i like that's fair well it's also like he has to be certain physical fitness for the military but very exactly i I understand that (laughs) but also he chooses that life i don't he does he he did choose that life So, <laughs> so yeah so uh so that's been um interesting um but I was very excited when I texted you the other day and I said and I said that I got to eat pasta so I'm excited for you because pasta is delicious um so yeah so I got to eat pasta and I've been eating most mostly regular stuff now I'm just trying to like I haven't you know like I think yesterday like I ate brunch and then I ate like a couple of snacks throughout the day and that's the only thing that like I like meal wise that I ate because I was like I don't want to I'm not hungry like I'm not hungry weirdly Uh, right but also like I don't want to take the effort to eat because it's a lot of effort I have to put a lot of it in, like a lot of effort into eating. Um, Do you right remember um, when we read Ellen Chanted when we did that buddy read and she kept losing weight because they kept telling her not to eat and she kept like not eating and we were like, that's a diet none of us will ever try. This I mean, is a diet I don't want to try. It, it isn't, but also like, I mean, I, I went to the doctor, I know, like, because I've been like, uh, consistently at like 200 pounds for like, I don't know, like over a year now. And like part of, you know, I'm, I'm like, I need to lose weight. I really need to right. lose weight. Just like for my, for myself, not because I need to like, I am beholden to beauty standards or anything like that. Let's just No, I totally clear. get it. I weigh like one, I'm up to like prior to my surgery, I was about 145 and now I'm about 175 and I'm starting mm-hmm. to like, I don't want to buy new clothes. (laughs) So I'm like, I downloaded an app called Lose It, which I've been enjoying. And I have my little bike that I use. And And I just need to watch. Yeah. And and, and I, and before the pandemic, I was working out every, every, most every morning when, because my office has a gym in the, in the basement. So I would just like go to work super early, work out, get ready in the in the locker room and then just take the elevator up to my office because I was like yeah that's easy that's like I a commitment to, I that I can do, do. Um, I used to do that when I worked at Berkshire because we had a gym I would go there on my lunch every day yeah and um, right 
And so like that, and that was really helpful. But then, you know, we started working from home and all the gyms closed. And so I was like, well, that's poopy. <laughs> um, you should look into this app though, the Lose It app, because it's my favorite version of the calorie stuff. Yeah. I don't particularly like calorie apps because they're usually like, oh, if you want to weigh, uh, you're, you're five foot one, you should really only eat like 1200 calories a day. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so um, um, I like it because it's like, excuse no, my French, but that. Right? I also, I think I've been pretty transparent about having an eating disorder and having issues with um, like body dysmorphia and stuff. And so I have to be very, I think, careful mm-hmm. uh, when I start to focus on my weight or working out or anything because I can get hyper-focused yeah. um, and I don't want to relapse. Eating disorders are very difficult to deal with. That's partly why my book is about it. I want to shed light on an issue that people never seem to talk about. Yeah. And, and it's, oh. it's hard to, uh, because of, because of the way that you've conditioned your mind to think. Well, and cause everywhere you look, society is still kind of telling yeah. us to do those things, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult. I, I have to be very careful not to, not to get too carried away with it because I will. And, and um, my, my biggest proponent is, is anorexia. And that's not, I, I know I've had conversations before with people where they're like, how do you just not eat? And I'm like, well, it's, there's a reason it's called a disorder. Like, yeah, you're not supposed to do those things. Yeah. Um, but it can be very difficult to know that you're doing those things. Like you would think it would be obvious, but it can be very difficult to realize what's happening. So, um, yeah. I And if anybody is ever struggling with anything like that, please reach out to me because, well, one, I'm writing a book about it. So I know a lot of information. Um, and two, I know how hard it is to overcome those things, even on a daily basis. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's been, that's, uh, it. I, I've never like personally like, struggled with that but just working from home it's been like it's it's been okay uh I I have to take a lunch now but I've been snacking all morning so yeah not really hungry but Um, it's lunchtime so you feel obligated to eat because it's your lunch you have to have a lunch right right yeah I have to clock out for 30 minutes for my job to eat lunch, to quote unquote eat lunch. But right. I, you know, I, I had breakfast and then, you know, I been snacking on chips and salsa for the last half, you know, two hours. So I'm not hungry. Um, yep. and so like, I've, you know, lately I've been forcing myself to like eat breakfast, you know, take my allergy pill, eat breakfast, uh, drink my immunity stuff and then not eat for, you know, until it's, you know, two, at least two hours later. So I eat my breakfast and then I wait. But I don't want to get too carried away on that topic. <laughs> I know tangents are a thing, but yes. if you're interested in the topic, reach out to me. I'd be happy to share more information. Um, like I said, I've, I've been, I've tried to be pretty transparent about having that issue um, and having a history with it just because I feel like people don't talk about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we really should be willing to talk about anything and everything openly. That's like something you and I and Morgan are always talking about is that I think sometimes people are worried about being politically correct or hurting someone's feelings or something. And so yeah. they don't always reach out to other people. And I just, just reach out, you know, as long as you're not mean to me, it'll probably be okay. <laughs> I, I, I will tell, like, if you're mean to me though, I do tell Ruth and Morgan. So, <laughs> um, it, 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 my go-to <laughs> and 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 we always we always ask before we we ask uh, we ask you know should we attack this person um because we will um because that's my first that's my first reaction is um do you want me to tell this person off because i will um <laughs> even but, without my permission you've done that before though you've been I, like you know what i got this <laughs> yeah um i i just i i Error, especially with everything that's happened in the last year, I err on the yeah. side of refusing to be politically correct just because people it, can get hurt that way. It, you can get hurt that way. You can also tiptoe around a major issue that needs to be discussed. Yep, for sure. Um, so, yeah. I, and that's one um, of the reasons we don't, that's one of the main reasons we don't talk about politics on this podcast is because I feel like politics are everywhere. Yeah. Like just everywhere. You can't get on Facebook. You can't get on Instagram. You can't look at a newspaper. You can't watch TV. Like they're just everywhere. And I feel like it's nice to have a place where you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. It's nice to be able to listen to this podcast and know that I'm not going to be like, let's talk smack about who's running for what office or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and we, and uh, just as a, as a proof to, you know, everybody, we, we have people of all parties and all beliefs, like on our Patreon. Yeah. And everybody's been very respectful about like keeping their opinions to themselves and whatnot. So yeah. Or if you're going to, or, you know, or even if you're going to share your opinion, you know, people are respectful and say, uh, I understand that you feel that way, but I believe this. And so I don't agree with you, but you are entitled to your opinion. But also it's okay. Yes. It's okay. If we don't agree, that's the main thing I think mm-hmm. that people sometimes get up in arms about and maybe maybe it's because I'm Jewish like (laughs) maybe the back of my mind is like no no we don't start stuff (laughs) that's not helped us in the past (laughs) or something but uh, (laughs) if you pay attention people Jewish people keep quiet okay Um, (laughs) but I just know that like it's okay to have different opinions and I, I think it's okay to even discuss those opinions if you want to as long as you're kind and respectful yeah, but there should always be a place you can go where you don't have to worry about that, and so that's what I try to make sure Prince Kaithian Pot is. Yeah, and we love you for it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't get excited about things. That doesn't mean I don't have opinions. I okay. Parties aside, I think it's cool that we have a female vice president who's a person of color. Agreed. I think that's a first. So uh, yeah, whether you're whether you're a Republican or Democrat or whether you like them or you don't, I think it's cool that we can say that that has happened. Yes. 
But I don't think that that has to be political to say that that's happened either. Agreed. So yeah. that could be whether you disagree with that person's beliefs or not, but. Um, but you can still be excited about the milestone. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, so anyways, let's get off this topic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might even cut it out later. I don't know. We'll see how I feel in three days when I edit. Um, I am currently reading the Touch of Gold series by Annie Sullivan. Um, and then I'm going to read Tiger Queen by Annie Sullivan. And I'm really excited about that and really enjoying it. And next month, Annie Sullivan is going to visit our Patreon page for a day. So that's exciting as well. That was something she offered to do that I'm really excited to take part in. That is super awesome. Really good. Everybody should read them. (laughs) (laughs) I get excited when I find a new author and I'm like, oh, I like them. And then I just absorb everything that they write. So doing that right now. (laughs) I'm actually – I – booted up my kindle uh this week and i just started i was like you know if i'm gonna ease back myself back into reading i was like you know i should probably i was like gabe when we went to uh barnes and noble he was like why did you get romance novels it's like why did they you- are such a good quick read Yes, exactly. And if I was you're like, trying to get back. It's like it's like if you haven't watched a movie in a long time, and it's like okay, I'm just gonna watch like a rom com real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. totally. So I was like they're they're. I was like they're easy. They're sometimes a little oversimplified, but they're easy, quick, and it gets you into a world without like you know they're having to be crazy things necessarily going on and uh, I also if someone is having a reading slump I also recommend rereading a book that you love that maybe you haven't read frequently like because I think it it pulls you back into why you love reading in the first place 100% and the problem is is I just have too many of those yeah that's true (laughs) Right now, I'm also rereading Ferris because we're starting Ferris in um, April, and I started taking notes on Ferris, and oh my gosh, you guys, we are going to have so many things to talk about. Uh, Taking notes for this, I'm like, oh, this is going to be some good content, y'all. Like, I know it's only like 15 episodes, but still super exciting. You can't, I mean, obviously, since it's a podcast and it's audio only, you can't see me like totally jamming to the fact that right? we get to start this <laughs> I'm like, For sure. yes. Love, so a, let's talk about love us a villain some, origin story. Right? A good, a good one because not all of them are good. Exactly. Let's talk about some Fan Art Friday because I am ecstatic for this first Fan Art Friday. It's from February 19th. It's by, I'm just going to spell it out because words are weird. A-Z-N-Y-U-E-Y-I-N-G on DeviantArt.com. It is Cress with the two-way mirror saying goodbye to Dr. Erlon. It breaks my heart into a million pieces, but it is absolute poetic perfection. Even if he doesn't have the mustache, like, I still love everything about this whole picture. Honestly, I was sitting here, like, pre-reading the notes before we started, and I was like what is this picture? I can't figure it out. 
I have no, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I like it or if I don't, because I was like, I didn't understand what it was. But now that you've said that, I'm like, Ooh, I like it. (laughs) And it's, it's a rough chapter to read. Um, and so are the follow-up chapters. If I'm being honest, I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. So I'm really glad to have some kind of art to represent that particular moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because it kind of it kind of reminded me because I didn't know what it was. It kind of reminded me of the farmer picture, and I was like, "How does this relate to crap to Cress?" Oh, I didn't think. Of that. Yeah, that that's a good point. That doesn't relate to Cress. No. no. <laughs> I was like, "Are we getting some sort of throwback to the Benoit farm?" And I was like, "But why? We're not in Scarlet anymore." <laughs> No, it's beautiful, though. I love the the whole image. I think is very touching. Although apparently Scamp doesn't agree since he just started barking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the second one is from Mariana Doodles on Instagram. And it's Aiko. And I know I keep sharing Aiko fan art, but I'm just so excited that Aiko has a body. Uh, and I know it got mentioned on the Patreon Discord chat the other day, like not everybody loves Ico. So I apologize for saying like everybody loves Ico, but I do love Ico. <laughs> so I'm sorry to like put that on everyone. I really shouldn't have said that, but I do love Ico and I'm super happy about her like transformation. Um, so that's why I keep sharing fan art of it. But I, I am going to try and share other stuff. I promise. I just got really excited. <laughs> I think... That I mean, I love Ico. Ico is like yeah. that, that like, that like almost <laughs> childlike person in all of us. Metallic ball of sunshine. Yeah, and <laughs> and and she's and she's always super positive, and she's yeah. almost like sometimes she's a, a. I can get like where she can be like annoyingly positive, and. And, See, like that's how I am, but maybe that's why I connect with her that way because I've definitely been told that like I'm too chipper sometimes. And so. me too. I, I think that I think that doesn't help that I'm super outgoing and super right. extroverted. But I mean, as a but I could see like as a somebody who's just kind of laid back and chill, like where Ico would come off as too much. I think Aiko would annoy Quentin, for example. <laughs> because Quentin is very like, whoa, calm down. Uh, <laughs> but he handles you well. So, I mean, maybe it, would just, maybe it would just be like having a metallic Bethany. Yeah, we did just celebrate eight years of marriage. So, obviously, he's been able to deal with it. <laughs> and And on top of that, if you think about it, it'd be like a metallic Bethany without seizures. Which would be super convenient, not gonna lie. Right? So like it could be <laughs> it could be a really great, you know, compromise. <laughs> Which by the way, not that this necessarily has anything to do with anything else, but I did see my neurologist the other day and I only had like five seizures for the entire year, uh, which is super great. I usually have more. Especially considering I had surgery this year. We thought it was going to be a lot higher. So, yay! That's fantastic. (laughs) 
So um, we'll have to see what 2021 brings. Hopefully more. Maybe I'll have four next year or something. There's other <laughs> hashtag goals. I was going to say hashtag goals, but I have no control over seizures. So stuff happens. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much that you can do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so big thank you for sharing both of those artworks with us. Uh, last week, Patreon members voted for chapter titles. Chapter 50 is titled, This is Why We Can't Have Nice Things by Taylor Swift. And chapter 51 is also titled Story of Us by Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say, I will say that um, Taylor does not always win. She just usually wins. Well, one, she's super good, you guys. But also, it just so happens that a lot of Patreon members also really like Taylor Swift. So also, she's written like a bajillion songs. So it's really easy to be like, that applies. Taylor Swift, here you go. Like, And, And they're for like so many different subjects. And I, I mean, I can't, I can't lie and say that I don't, if, if I'm looking at the Patreon and I'm like, oh, I need a vote for the chapters. And it's like three songs I don't know. And then a Taylor Swift song, gonna pick the Taylor Swift song. Cause then you don't have to go look it up. Exactly. Chapter 52. Oh, this is so good. Okay. Um, Ooh, shake it out, Bethany. Shake it out. Last week we left off with Kai got kidnapped, darted and unconscious. Iko is like holding back Torn. Right. Torn's like, let me at him. <laughs> Cinder's upset because she's like, he's going to hate me. Because in case anybody forgot, Cinder literally was like, Kai, you have to trust me. And then she shot him. Right. Which like- kind of breaks the whole trust me vibe a little bit yeah that's basically like i mean literally the way that the she's like trust me trust me and then raises she said trust me she said said, trust me three times in that chapter and then the last sentence is you're just gonna have to figure out whether or not you can trust me and then she raised her hand and shot him like In the same breath, she said, trust me, and boom. So (laughs) I just thought that was so funny. And a big thank you. It's on our Instagram. You can go look at it. I had to wait to post it until the episode came out because that's how it is. But I did have someone who was nice enough to make me a meme of that scene just because I thought it was so funny. And so I asked and they were like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Fangirl TLC on Instagram. And it's um, Gru from Despicable Me holding a gun. And it says, Cinder, don't worry, Kai. You can trust me. Also, Cinder (laughs) with the gun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's beautiful. And a big thank you for making that just for me. I felt very special. I mean, that's basically, uh, I mean, that's life right there. Yeah. So Torin is pissed and rightfully so. And Cinder's like, look, we're going to take him somewhere uh, safe where Levana can't get to him and Torin is like dude you know there's like consequences for this kind of stuff right like we're having a war right now yeah um, uh, which kind of that kind of gives me a little bit of Harry Potter vibes because if you read the last Harry Potter book when uh, Ron and Hermione kiss Harry is like oi we've got a war going on can we like make out later yeah <laughs> Um, I mean, 
I just, it, I mean, it's classic Torin, just like, I don't trust you. I don't trust anybody. Right? I don't think it's too much of a spoiler because we do find out later in these chapters. So I want to point out, it says we're in the middle of a war. Torin says we're in the middle of a war. Cinder says, no, we're at the very beginning of a war. But we actually find out from Dr. Erlon that Luna has been at war for a very, very, very long time. I'm talking decades and generations that they've spent time putting into creating this biological warfare to weaken Earth. So it's very interesting for Cinder to be like, no, we're at the beginning because Luna doesn't even know that they have a revolutionist and a princess. And Torrin is like, we're in the middle of a war because they've already started attacking and yeah. the marriage alliance is supposed to cease fire. And Dr. Erlon finds out that the war has actually been going on with no one's knowledge for decades because they started the war when they were looking into Letimosis in the first place. Yeah. And well, and I just think that that's a really important quote, like from beginning to end, just because it, it highlights the difference of opinions and the different points of view on it. Like, Absolutely. because, because as we find out later, like, no, like, yeah, we're going to like, you know, Cinder says, I'm going to end it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I mean, in some respects, you know, yeah, even though they aren't at the very beginning of the war in the sense of, you know, everything has just started, according to Dr. Erland, you know, this is a new, inf- you know, this, this is new information to us as far as um, what has been taking place on Luna, but, right. you know, to, to Cinder, to Torin. These are, this is the beginning of the war. This, you know, because this is when the conflict has been brought to us. It's been brought to our eyes. Yeah, and I think Cinder is also thinking it's the beginning because Luna doesn't even know that they have another option. Right. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And, and again, she's, you know, she's like, I am the revolutionary. Like, I am going to change Luna but they don't know it right. yet. She and that's what she says to to Torin. Torin says, "Oh, it's true. You found Celine." And she says, mm, "Yes, she's with us." So she still doesn't reveal to him that she's Celine. She just says that she found her and she's going to make a difference. And yeah. she also says that I understand that you have no reason to trust me. Yeah, no, you just shot somebody. But I'm going to ask you to anyway. I promise no harm will come to Kai while he's with us. And in parentheses in my notes, I wrote, except for me already shooting him. (laughs) (laughs) So I I do want to say I absolutely love that Aiko is like defending Cinder and is like, look, she's going to make a difference. I promise. But um, because I feel like that's just her. That's Aiko as a BFF, right? Like, Like, don't worry about it. So um, I got and you. I also, right? And I also love this moment from Torin because Torin sort of has an opportunity to save Kai, so to speak. And instead, we get an egg hatch. Kai has another chip that is supposed to, ironically, be there in case anyone wanted to kidnap him. But Torin. <laughs> 
gives it away <laughs> that there is a, another chip behind his ear. So, I, I mean, it kind of sounds like Torin is on the conspiracy side now, right? Yeah. Question mark, you know? Well, and something um, that, I, that I wanted to bring up was that, like, when she's giving this whole, like, speech about, you know, about, quote unquote, you know, Celine is with us, but I'm not going to reveal that I am Celine. Is that, right. you know, I put in my notes, I was like, I, you know, I could be wrong, but this, to me at least, is one of the first times since the plan has been, like, put into action where they're like, yeah, we're going to ruin, you know, or stop the wedding, we're going to kidnap Kai, that, um, and, and maybe even in the whole book that we see Cinder is truly confident that the plan will work and that she will be able to overthrow Levon. Absolutely. She's been very um, sort of hem-hawing, sort of hesitant, but now she's saying she will make a difference. Yeah. And and she's confident about it. Um, and she, she points out why it's important for Celine to be the one to make a difference. Um, if this wedding goes through, it won't matter. No revolution on Luna is going to nullify a marriage and a coronation. If you give her this power, there's nothing I or anyone can do to take it away from her. Yeah. And that's 100% correct. Overthrowing her on Luna doesn't change the fact that she has control on Earth. And that's all she wants in the first place. Now, you know, like we've talked about before, there's the devil's advocate that she supposedly wants Earth's resources to give to her people on Luna because they need them. But, you know, there's nice ways of going about getting those resources right yeah so you know she's not asking for you know let's let's ignore the trade embargo or something like that so you know or open up like uh open up trade between luna and earth she's not asking for that she's like no i need to be empress yeah well and and you know that's things that we will dive deeper into in, in Ferris when we get to see everything from her point of view, but very um, true. But so, so you know, with, without giving we... more spoilers or anything like right. that. Well, let's move on before we do give spoilers. She <laughs> exactly. has, she finds out that Kai has another chip that she has to remove. And Torin's last line before we switch into Cress's perspective, which I love is if anything happens to him, Lin May, I will hunt you down and kill you myself. And I, for one, 100% believe Torin. I think Torin is legit with that threat. I don't think that's empty in the slightest. I think Torin is like, seriously, I will kill you, bro. Like, okay? I mean, I mean, yes, 100%. But also, like, right? the fact that, the fact that like, that is his last line that he says to her before, like, so we switch P- before we switch POVs um, mm-hmm. is, is kind of great because it's like, who will he come through on his on on that or uh, what right. does he was, have to come through on that yeah will he will he need to yeah <laughs> only time will tell exactly so we're in Cress's perspective and she is a complete badass she has cut, shut down every security measure possible including all of the lunar spyware that the Rampian crew would have had no idea about so like they legit could not have been successful in this mission without her. There's no way they would have gotten through any of Luna's spyware or even knew that it existed or how to locate it or anything without her. So 100%. I, I feel like 
Right. Like, I feel like she'd get, she should get credit a lot here for the success of their mission. Like, okay, yes, like, everybody's brave and cinder shot people. But she was never going to be able to walk up and down hallways and shoot with her little tranquilizer dart if everyone could see her on camera. True. Fair. Uh, I, like, so I love that we get to switch POVs multiple times in this in this chapter. I almost said in this oh, episode. Oh, so needed. I, well, I almost said in this episode, like, it was, you know. Well, I mean, we're talking <laughs> about it in this episode, so kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, but it feels, because we get to see all these, it's almost like a heist movie where you get to see all the different pieces of the heist as they go through the, you know, the heist or the lead up to the heist. Um, and, and it just feels more, it makes it feel more intense and action packed than it would if you were just getting it from say Cinder's perspective or just getting it from Cress's perspective. 100%. It's, it's, one of the best things about having different perspectives in books is that you get to see all of the moving parts at once. And it's also one of the reasons that winter is such a complex and encapsulating story, because by the time we get to winter, we have so many different perspectives going on. But like every chapter, every switch, every moment is like some kind of cliffhanger, Yeah, um, which is going to make that one year of doing one or two chapters at a time very difficult for us, (laughs) but we will survive. (laughs) So they're waiting on Cinder and Aiko, who are apparently taking a thousand years, and Wolf is bored. (laughs) He's got... 30 palace guards at his feet and he takes down another one while he's protecting Cress, which I think is like just this is just a badass moment for again this this is something we'll talk about multiple times they couldn't do this mission without everyone right everybody would have worked yeah it's almost like uh if you've seen the Italian job it's like they couldn't do it without you know without the hacker they couldn't do it you know they tr- the other guy that tried that screwed them over in the beginning couldn't you know tried tried to outsmart them but he failed because they had all these perfect pieces that fit together and yep. um and and you know every single one of these people are important to the plan and important to making the plan successful um, absolutely and it's, you couldn't do it without without each of them right and and what I love about that dis- this this description of like what uh of how Wolf looks right now is just like it, especially because it's from Cress's point of view, and so like she's also still a little bit scared of Wolf, <laughs> I think. Oh, for sure, yeah, definitely still scared of him, but I think starting to trust him more. Yeah, and so and so like the bottom of page six uh four sixty to the top of sixty one, where she's like uh where she says, Wolf was out in the small lobby leaning against the wall by the stairwell door. At some point he'd removed his tuxedo jacket and, and the bow tie, unbuttoned his collar and rolled up his sleeves. His hair was no longer neat and tidy, but sticking up at odd angles. He looked bored. Like just that, like I feel that like that is almost such a thorn uh like description of wolf. 
Yeah, I mean, kind of, um, <laughs> kind of laid back and carefree, sort yeah, of. Which is, which doesn't. I mean, it, it's not Wolf, but also Wolf is always so fidgety and yeah. always is moving that it's kind of weird to see him so calm. Absolutely. Well, to be um, fair, he's probably exhausting from the 30 guards that are at his feet. Well, but also it's probably all the adrenaline because, you know, he is a wolf soldier. So this right. is what he's trained and was genetically modified for. Um, and so this, you know, this is his, this is his battleground. This is what he's meant to so he's probably calm. What and, he was created for. Yeah, he's calm and cool yeah. and collected because this is his arena. But like, it's just still weird to hear him described like that because we know what he normally is, and it's different. <laughs> right. And so she finally sees the the elevator from the fourteenth floor is descending. And she sets a timer on the main console, and we switch perspectives yet again. So Cress's perspective was, like, barely a page and a half. Now we're in Dr. Erlon's perspective. He's working on Thorne's eyes, which is also taking forever, apparently. Everybody's <laughs> just impatient because the stakes are so high right now. So he's such a... Okay, I think I talked about this on the last episode, but... It really annoys me how heavy-handed Dr. Erland is with Thorne. <laughs> because Dr. Erland does not have a halo above his head. There are no angel wings coming out of his back. He has done some pretty shady shit. I realize that he's all done it in the name of for the greater good, but he did start a cyborg draft that killed thousands of people. He did invest a lot of money into lunar trafficking. I get that, like, he did those things with good intentions and for good reasons, but, like, I don't think he has any room to judge Thorne just because Thorne is, what, a bit of a flirt? Yeah. So, so in my, so, no, 100%. Uh, but the way that I think of it is because, like, basically the only exposure that Erland has had to Thorne is the news reports, right? Because he finds out that Cinder has escaped and that she's on the run with Thorn. And then when he finally meets Thorn, he's this suave and debonair and he's such a flirt and all this stuff that he's like, he's like playing the overprotective father but like he doesn't really have any right to play that. But like he's just right. being, he's he's just being like that dad figure without like any backup to like right. being able to feel that way. But also like I don't think he thinks that Thorn is smart. So he's like, I have to be heavy handed like, because you're dumb, right? Like <laughs> I mean, and I totally I do get it. I get that Thorn is a flirt. I get that Cress is. I love with him, but I stand by what I have said before. Thorne has done what Thorne thinks he can. He's told her repeatedly, like, I'm not a good guy. I'm not a hero. Right. I don't want to hurt you. You know, multiple times he's tried to be like, like, we're okay, right? And I think that that's just his own inexperience. Yeah. And, that, his, and also, um, like, his own insecurities, too. Absolutely. And I'm not saying I'm not giving Thorne a pass. Okay. 
I just think it's a bit heavy-handed for Dr. Erlon to be like, oh, can you put the drops in by yourself like a big boy? Like, okay, what is this about? (laughs) Is it just because your long-lost daughter, who you kind of sort of abandoned, has a crush on him? Because it feels a bit much for that. Well, that, and I think what you pointed out with, like, where, you know, Thorne has told Crest multiple times, he's like, I'm not a good guy. You know, like, yes, it looks like this based on, like, my profile online and, like, what people have said about me. It looks like that I'm a good guy or that deep down that I I am a good guy, but I just play this part of being a bad guy. He's like, you know, I I haven't been a good guy, um, but I also think that Erland has not seen that. He also doesn't, Thorne, I don't think, takes Cress's feelings very seriously because, like, he pointed out, like, I'm the first guy you ever met. Of course you're attracted to me. And, of course. And you're developing a crush on me. And I don't disagree with that, but it does feel very dismissive of Cress and her feelings. Oh, I think, I think 100%. I think on some level, though, that that's also, like, very adult of Thorne. Right, that's a like mature thing for him to acknowledge and be able to see. For such a suave, swashbuckling, <laughs> debonair person as Thorn, as Carswell Thorn is, it's very adult and right. very out of character. <laughs> but I think that that is a slight, like that is its own little Easter egg into how what his what he ends up becoming as far as like how he matures through. And in this, and don't worry because he's still pretty immature in this chapter. So Dr. Erland is done. (laughs) He has to take the solutions four times a day for a week. Um, And the doctor is about to do the drops and stops because he sees something on his hand So he gets a face mask, he gets a clean vial, he finds out that he has tested positive for letimosis. So he should have 24 to 48 hours at least, but he's old, he's overexerted from running around all day, um, probably overwhelmed from all of the pressure that he's been under for the last few weeks. So he's like, okay, I'm going to take a blood sample from Thorne. Um, and this is where I get frustrated because he didn't reveal to Cress sooner who he was. He always waits too long to tell everyone the full truth. He did the same thing with Cinder, not telling her she was lunar, not telling her she was Celine. He was like, oh, I thought we'd have more time. And I get like the whole old dogs don't learn new tricks or whatever thing, but I, I, there's never enough time and you guys are like trying to save the world. (laughs) So I feel like you know, every moment is like, it could be your last. So why are you waiting until there's the right moment when you might not have another one? Yeah. I think he's being slightly too overcautious. I think he's scared. That too. Because what if, because he's putting it off because he's scared. He doesn't, he's scared to tell her. He's scared of her reaction. He's scared of how to tell her. And he's like, I need more time to figure out how to handle this properly. And unfortunately, he doesn't get that because he has the plague. Yeah. And what if, and what if he says it too soon and she completely rejects him? Right. And then they're stuck on this mission together. Right. 
You know, I, right. I think so there's, I think I there's mean, I think it's it's he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, but also like right. it it's it's there's devil's there's devil's advocate yeah. for each side, and I think it's important to identify both sides of this and acknowledge them. I do think it would have been important for him to tell her earlier, but I understand why he was hesitant to do so. Right. And and I think because also he's lived in secret for so long, you you have to think, you know, he's been, you know, hiding out from the lunar crown for so long that, you know, he's been secret. Yes, he's been secretive, but also, you know, he's been secretive not because he wanted to be, but because he had to be. So maybe he's lost the innocence of wanting to be honest at all times. Right. Because like what maybe, if because what if that person that he's truthful and honest with betrays him? He's he's almost gotten overly cautious because of living a double life for such a long time. Right. And I think that 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 now none of this is, you know, of course an excuse for his actions that right. he has done present, past and future. But, you know, I think, I think understanding why is the first, is the first part of that. And, and that's, you know, and that's part of it is that he literally, he, you know, he's been leaving a a double life and he can't, he can't differentiate, differentiate anymore. He doesn't, he stopped being able to, um, what is the word that they use in all the spy movies? Um, <laughs> where the where you can um, uh, compartmentalize. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I also think that I think that when you live so long under the guise of I can't let anyone know everything about me, or I can't know my let anyone know my secrets. I think part of you becomes closed off to being honest, like. Everyone has their own moral compass that points you in a specific direction that makes you think what you're doing is right or what you're doing is wrong. And I think if you spend a really long time on the other side of that spectrum, it can be hard to maybe not to identify what's right and wrong, but to identify what's right and wrong for you, for your purposes, for your goals and ambitions. So, um, and, and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I know a lot of people might think that right and wrong is a very easy thing to identify, but it's not. For example, um, you know, being in a car by yourself, traveling long distance, and you see someone on the side of the road with a flat tire, do you stop? Part of your brain says it's the right thing to do from one human being to another to help that person. But part of your brain might also be like, okay, I'm five feet tall and I've seen law and order. Yeah. Or I've, I'm, you know, I'm five foot four and I've got, um, a baby in the car. Yeah. A baby in the car. And while it's the right thing to do, I've watched too much criminal minds. I know what happens. Right. But I think it's the same. It's, it's the same as like, you might think, and I'm not saying that means that you're a bad person or a good person. Right. I'm just saying that that's what I mean when I say everybody has a different moral compass. We know that like everyone in the world, there's a blood shortage at all times. So 
in theory, should we all be donating blood like once a week just to help that? Maybe, maybe that's the right thing to do. You know, there's the whole share your spare movement about trying to help people who are in need of a kidney by finding out who you could be a match for. Um, And the same with like plasma or platelets. Quentin often donates platelets for that reason. So I'm not saying that we all need to be heroes and go give out blood. Please do not tell your parents that like, oh, Prince Guy Fanplot said I should give up a kidney. That's not what I mean. (laughs) I'm just saying that like, it might be really easy to think we know what's right and wrong, but everyone has a different moral compass. And Dr. Erlon has spent the better part of the last 15, 20 years trying to not only identify what his moral compass is, but shifting it so much because he wants it to serve a specific purpose. Right. He only started the cyborg draft a year ago. Yeah. One year ago. That means that for like, what, 13 years, 12 years, whatever, he was okay with watching people die. Maybe not necessarily watching people die, but not okay with having a draft where he knew people would die. Right. It took him a long time to get to the point where he was like, I'm running out of time. I need to find this girl cyborg draft. Yeah. You know, that wasn't like his go-to. That wasn't the first thing he did when he got to earth. So I just want to, I just want to point out that I think, I think that Dr. Erlon's moral compass has been shifted very slowly and gradually over the years because he's always had this ulterior motive of I have to do these things with a purpose. I have to make these decisions, quote, for the greater good, because that's how we're going to overthrow Levana and save the galaxy. So I think it's hard for him to open up to people and reveal his secrets like this because he doesn't necessarily think of other people as deserving of those secrets. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm like rambling. <laughs> no, no. I think I think that. Well, I mean, we we talked. Hi, church. Um, we talked, you know, a little bit about that when we were uh, prepping for this episode. Was that you know I was like, hey, there's not a whole lot other than talking about Doctor Erlon these episodes. Like, is it okay if we tangent? <laughs> and right. You were like you were like, yes, we need a tangent. But I think that that's something that, you know, lately we've, uh, with a lot of people in the Patreon, have been rereading Cress along with the podcast. And we had people, um, oh, aren't you guys just so adorable? (laughs) Church just crawled over me and went and sat by Emma, and now she's licking his head. It's quite cute. Um, you know what's not cute the doctor and thorn so thorn (laughs) does not thorn doesn't have the plague the doctor is like okay um i'm gonna put the instructions in this port screen and you can have cress help you later because i'm not gonna go with you i'm too old i'm gonna slow you down i'm gonna stay here and thorn is like no no we have a plan levana's gonna torture you for information if you stay here so let's let's just go and stick to the plan. And the doctor says, well, there's no time. I'm already dying. And right at that moment, guards appear outside the corridor and says, he tells Thorne not to touch him. And then he has to quarantine himself. No one's going to question him because they know he has letamosis and they don't want it. Thorne himself jumps back and wipes off his hands out of fear of catching this plague. Yeah. 
And again, this just gives me like chills because like we're going through our own. It's so weirdly fitting that we are going through our own pandemic as we are right. reading a book series that is spurred on by a pandemic. Um, <laughs> so um, it's just like, I mean, it's not unheard of that somebody would do that in this day and age right now. Right. I agree. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, and, and, I know we've often talked before about, like, why didn't Marissa Meyer have masks? Dr. Erlen puts on a mask, so kind of, sort of, one was mentioned. Yeah. You know, not to the point now where literally you're not supposed to go to, at least where I live, like, you're not supposed to go places without a mask. There's signs everywhere. There's a government order in place. There's a governor order in place, like. um, But I know that my family in Florida, they don't have mask laws. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's, but yeah. I mean, but I mean, just like the, the craziness of, um, you know, when Marissa wrote this, she's like, pandemic, like, this will be, right. like, what are the, what are the odds? This will be good food for fodder, you know, 10, 10 right. plus years before we're then actually in a pandemic. It's just. Um, it's, it, so, I mean, you can't fault her for not mentioning masks because, you know, in, that wasn't, yeah, it wasn't necessarily like firsthand knowledge at that point. Right. And then, and then also like, it, it also seems as though it's, um, the way that she wrote it, it, the way that it's contagious, you know, it's the doctor puts himself into a quarantine room. The code has not changed since he left like three months ago uh, or two months ago or however long it's been. That's like not good protocol. Like I get that it's convenient for the plot, but one of your scientists was rogue. I feel like y'all should have changed every code in that lab. This is the royal palace people. (laughs) If the security is, is not, down the hall. <laughs> if security is not your main goal, what is wrong with you? Right? I get that it's convenient for the plot, but rogue scientist, research lab, emperor down the hall, like this is not good protocol. Also, you guys definitely dropped the ball. Not just any rogue scientist, like head rogue an, scientist. An evil genius. <laughs> Head rogue scientist, like head of the draft, head of the Royal Scientist Program or whatever they're calling it. And he also helped the lunar fugitive escape, like not got a great reputation. Change everything. Yeah. System needs to be wiped of all codes that he would have known. Deactivate his card. Do everything. (laughs) Like... For sure. HIPAA violation. As somebody that works in healthcare, HIPAA violation. For (laughs) sure. (laughs) You're asking for federal fines right there. So he gets in this room. He gets into this quarantine room. It has a one-way mirror. We get somewhat of a redemption here because he thanks Thorne for taking care of Cress in the desert. Again, 
I still have issues with this dynamic in their relationship, but we talked about it enough. We'll move on. Um, but he says that you still don't deserve her. Nobody is disagreeing with that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all 100% agree that Thorne does not deserve this pure of heart little angel that Cress is, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not, I think we can all agree on that one. <laughs> Before Thorne could respond, Dr. Erlon stepped into the quarantine and shut himself in. His captivity was instant, airtight, suffocating and final that is the end of chapter 52 oh gut punch right deep breath okay so what was your chapter title my chapter title (laughs) was danger zone by kenny loggins which is the uh one of the songs from Top Gun, which also happens to be one of my favorite 80s movies, even though it has the horrible Tom Cruise in it. Um, Never saw it. And, uh, but yeah, because, because I feel like that is like, uh, I almost went with like the Mission Impossible theme song because I was like, I was so obsessed with like how much of like, it, it felt so like action packed and heisty. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like it needed something that was, like, here, this is, this sets the tone for what's about to happen. But I felt like that, like, the Mission Impossible theme song was too on the nose. Um, but Danger Zone kind of, like, is, like, you know, because the words are, I went to the Danger Zone. Um, and, and that's exactly where they're at. <laughs> right. Um, but like, they're also riding high and like, you know, they're not letting anybody stop them. So, um, it kind of fit nicely without, um, no, I agree. I think that's a great point to bring up. And I think that was a great song choice as well. So, so mine was time by Hootie and the Blowfish because everything in this chapter, I feel like is very time obsessive sort of especially <laughs> like even Cress even had to set a timer they were waiting on Heiko and Cinder who were taking too much time kidnapping the emperor um and then of course Dr. Erland not realizing yet again that time is not on his side time is not his friend and he should reveal his truths when he can now let's take a moment to talk about your quote Okay, so my quote is uh, something that you actually read earlier when we were going through the chapter discussion, but um, it is, but if this wedding goes through, it won't matter. No revolution on Luna is going to nullify a marriage and a coronation. If you give her this power, then there is nothing I or anyone can do to take it from her. Absolutely. But I just love that because it feels so like final and it's basically sets the tone for the rest of this book and what we know or don't know is going to happen in winter Fair enough, so. I, guess. <laughs> I mean we we kind of know what's ha- going to happen in winter because of you know what you know what we've set in motion but we don't know right. exactly how it's going to affect. affect. Yeah. Right. Without giving spoilers that I'm so good at. Right. 
So my quote was to tell her how much he loved her, to apologize again and again for ever letting go. I know I can be hard on Dr. Erlon sometimes, but I am genuinely saddened by the relationship dynamic or lack thereof that he and Cress never really got to develop. And I, I am genuinely sad that he didn't tell her in with enough time to give her an opportunity to process it. Yeah. Makes makes me sad for Dr. Eiland and for Cress. This is the Novel Universe with your hostesses, Dawn and Ashley. We rate and review the newest and most buzzworthy books. We are true book club ladies that don't always agree, but we do enjoy a good book discussion. You can find the Novel Universe on Apple, Spotify, and Google, where we post new episodes twice a month. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Ashley, the fantasy architect. So grab your favorite beverage and join our universe. Okay, so chapter 53, where in Cress's perspective, Wolf has basically memorized the blueprints, so he's leading them through stairwells and corridors and tunnels, and now they meet up with Iko and Cinder and the Emperor, and Wolf could smell the Emperor's cologne, so he, he takes him from Cinder and Iko, tosses him over his shoulder, because, you know, he's a wolf, so Kai weighs nothing to him. Yeah, that cracks me up. So there's guards everywhere. Cinder stops all the guards. She says, okay, this is way too easy to control Earthens. Like, Earth is not going to stand a chance with the Predator in charge. And I love this moment that Cress has such faith in Cinder. Like, everything Cinder does, everything Cinder says, Cress is like, it's okay because Cinder's here now. Yeah. You know? Um, well, if, if we could just, her, Iko's like, well, hello there, strangers. Like... I know that. she's so fun. <laughs> she's so fun. <laughs> she's just so keeping just that element perky, and uh, and you know she just adds that fun little oomph to the group. She does. But yeah, no, you're right about Cress, where she just says, "Well, then it's a good thing she's not going to be Empress." Nope, because she knows that Cinder has got this. <laughs> yep. But she does get a look at the Emperor for the first time, and she never imagined that their first meeting would be in an elevator with him unconscious over the shoulder of her wolf mutant kind of sort of friend. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of guards, and um, Aiko is so funny. She's like, oh, Cross, I love your dress. And I love Cinder. She's like... <laughs> Aiko goes, that dress looks amazing on you. Cinder, doesn't she look amazing? Aiko, after this, we're going to start working on occasion appropriateness. Right? <laughs> like, But, like, honestly, that is such, like, a Cinder-Aiko exchange. Like, I know, and I love it so much. It's, 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 the, it's, yeah, it's perfect. I can't even, words do not describe. <laughs> it's, it, it really is just like the epitome of their friendship and their relationship. It is a hundred percent. I agree. <laughs> so what happens next? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so what happens next is Cinder is like, okay, there's all these cute earthen guards, but no androids. 
when this is all over, uh, Kai and I are going to have a serious talk about security. Yeah. Uh, she uses the guards as her personal barrier, gets their guns, aims it at Kai, and says, he's our bargaining chip. She does her secret knock on the lab door. I feel like that was like, <laughs> like they say secret knock, and really I feel like it's just like the... Like, it's just like right? the super, the super... <laughs> Like, it's just, like, the three knocks, two knocks, three knocks, or whatever. Like, it's not I anything also, <laughs> super complicated. I also love the idea of them having this conversation where, basically, in my brain, Thorne is like, oh, we need a secret knock. And Cinder is like, who else is going to knock? And he's like, we need a secret knock. Like, yeah. And then he comes up with it, and she's like, that's your secret knock. That's the best you could do. And he's like, it's still a secret, isn't it? You didn't even want to have one. Well, like, I just, <laughs> I can, I can see it playing out. Like, yes, they're rushed and they're like, I can see it. Like if it was a deleted scene from this chapter, like where she like knocks like once on the door and he's like, there's nobody in here. <laughs> you didn't do the secret no he's like, or, or, or he, he, he's like, who is it? And she's like, it's Cinder. I like, love it. And, and, and he's like, well, you didn't do the secret knock. How do I know that you're really Cinder? Right? Like, <laughs> no, I think that's wonderful. Absolutely love it. Because it is so thorn to be like, uh, you didn't do the secret knock, so. It's not valid. <laughs> like, it doesn't count, Cinder. Yeah. Um, yeah, please, absolutely. please uh, back up. We need to run that scene again. Doesn't work here. <laughs> password. <laughs> What's the password? It's password. What would Thorne's password be? Captain is king, right? <laughs> I just, I just love the fact that, like, let's be honest. If if Thorne had his own com- computer, if his signature line wasn't Captain S. King, it would be password. His yeah, password that's true. Password. password one. I also yeah. think, like, maybe I know not everybody likes the whole don't get glamoured thing. Maybe that could be our sign-off as Captain is King. I I mean, I like don't get glamoured. You do? Of course, because it... it that's the whole premise is you don't want to get clamored people. You really don't. You guys, it's not good. It, I, <laughs> as, as, Steph, as Bethany's, uh, as Bethany's bulldog. <laughs> who, who the F doesn't like, get, let's don't get glamored. Uh, they need to come see me address, address all <laughs> address. Um, all all comments and dislikes <laughs> to Ruth to, to Ruth or uh, maybe Ruthless ninety on on Instagram or uh, Spoiler Alert Queen on Instagram and um, let me hear your thoughts because you're wrong because you're wrong. <laughs> this may be America, uh, but you're wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I love you. Um, <laughs> the doctor. Thorne says, look, the doctor's not coming. He has the plague. And I love the moment where he, like, 
walks behind Kres and like patches her, pats her on the head and is like just checking it was you. And then he pulls her into like a little hug. I'm like, oh, yeah. But I'm also like Thorne, stop sending her mixed signals. Right. <laughs> just because she's shorter than you doesn't mean that you have to abuse her height. Let's be I will honest. say that is one of my husband's favorite things about me is that I'm the perfect height for like a headrest hug. <laughs> I mean, yes, but, but also, also <laughs> just because you're short does not mean that you can abuse my shortness. Right. <laughs> so the doctor apologizes to everyone. Yeah. And here's my thing. He apologizes to Cress and she's like, no one's, but he calls her Crescent Moon and she's like, how could he know my real name? Is it a lucky guess? I mean, if you say it's as common of a name as it is, would it really be that different than people being like, oh, Lizzie's probably a nickname for Elizabeth or Beth is probably a nickname for Bethany or something? Yeah. You know, is it really that unique that he would that she'd be like how do you know my real name but it does give us this really cute line of of him saying because it was i that named you yeah which kind of breaks my soul into a million tiny little pieces i mean oh so okay so this is where we get into why i think that Dr. Erlon is not as problematic as we all think that he is. And this is just my, this is my personal little tangent is because you have to write like, so basically what you recognize is that like, yes, he's done horrible things and Mm -hmm. his moral compass, as we talked about earlier, has been consistently changing and that his the whole, the, yes, it was wrong of him to kill cyborgs because they were second, second class citizens. Right. Um, in order to find, in order for his goal to find center. Right. But, you know, he was still working to find a cure. He was trying to start a lunar revolution by finding Cinder, a.k.a. Selene. Um, and, you know, he... Yes, it, can, it comes a little late in life, this um, apology, but I think that he has realized through all of these experiences what his part in all of it is. Yeah. Um, and it's not the, um, you know, as, as we've seen lately in our own, uh, you know, when people make mistakes or they say horrible things, they, you know, their response, their apology is I'm listening and learning. Um, you know, he is truly sorry for the things that he has done. Because as the quote says on 71, it says, he says, um, I've hurt you all in some ways, been at least partly responsible for some tragedy in your lives. And he's not saying, you know, there is no but to that. 
He's like, right. This is my fault. Um, and I could have stopped. I could have, you know, avoided the things that came because of the things that I did. Right. So, um, you know, I, that's, that is my thought as to where, you know, he's like, you know, by me helping this plan by me, you know, yes, I was late in saying it. Yes. I should have, you know, searched for her sooner. Um, you know, found Celine, AKA Cinder sooner. Um, you know, I should have done all these things sooner. You know, he realizes, you know, I was a part of the problem, but I was also a part of the solution to change, to rectify the problem. Absolutely. Um, and so by him attempting to change history, I think that that says something for him. Yes. He's done horrible things. Right. Um, should we 100% forgive him for the things that he did in the past? No, I don't think so. Well, it doesn't sound like he's forgiving himself either. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Right. But he understands that he, you know, but I think also that like, yes, he says that he's partly responsible for some tragedy in every person that he's, you know, that he's talking to, that he's addressing their lives. Right. And that's what he's doing too. Right. But, but I think that if we think, okay, well, it would Cinder have become, you know, the, the snarky uh, person and learned through her life lessons. Garen hadn't adopted her. Um, if Peony and Pearl weren't her sisters and had, hadn't put put her through, you know, if Audrey hadn't abused her, would she have been that person when um, that wanted to start a revolution when she was given the opportunity when she found out that she was Celine? Would we? Would she have taken that step? Um, and so, yes, like he did horrible things. You know, he started the the cyborg draft. He killed thousands of cyborg, uh, cyborg people and second class citizens. And he did all of these horrible things and he's sorry for what he's done. But if we didn't have that progression, would we have the same people, you know? So let's get back on track (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) The doctor apologizes to everyone, but he needs to tell Cinder something, and they only have six minutes. He wants to tell the Emperor, but the Emperor is unconscious. And so he says, the plague is biological warfare. The Lunar Crown has been using shell blood. And this is on the bottom of page 471. The Lunar Crown has been using antibodies found in the blood of the ungifted to manufacture an antidote for at least 16 years and perhaps much longer. But 16 years ago, letimosis didn't even exist unless it too had been manufactured in a lunar laboratory. Lunars wanted to weaken Earth and to create a dependency on their antidote. 
He's indicated his findings on the port screen, so they can give that information to Kai. But Earth should know that this disease, that this war, did not start with the recent attacks. This war has been going on beneath our noses for over a decade, and I do fear that Earth is losing. I mean, like, shock and awe right there. Right? Um, and... I mean, let's just say it, the sentence that it says after he says that, where it says the silence that followed was suffocating. Absolutely. Well, just reminds you of how he felt at the end of chapter 52. And the impact of his words on everyone who just heard them. Right. Right. 100%. So Sander promises that they're not going to lose. And now the doctor wants to talk to Cress. This is where she says, how do you know my full name? And then he says, because I named you. I want you to know that it nearly killed me when I lost you and I have thought of you every day. I always wanted to be a father, even as a young man. But I was recruited into the Crown's team of scientists immediately following my education. Such an honor, you know. My career became everything and there was no time for a family. I was already in my 40s when I married my wife. When I married, my wife, another scientist whom I had known for many years and never thought I liked very much until she decided that she liked me. She was not much younger than me, and the years passed, and I had given up hope until one day she was pregnant. And this is where where Cress breaks my heart. It felt like listening to an old, sad tale, one that she was removed from. Oh my God, Marissa, just shoot me. I'd die faster. (laughs) Are you kidding? But it's so poetic. I love it. He begged Sybil not to take Cress, but she did. And he thought she was dead. If he had known, he never would have left. And I believe that. If he had known she was out there, I do think he would have spent his life searching for his daughter. Right. Well, and I mean, why wouldn't, like, let's just... Let's just think about that. Why wouldn't he believe Sybil? She was the head. She's the head thaumaturge. Right. She is second, also, second in line from the queen. You know. Right. And these in, these are laws. These are infanticide laws that he then said, like, until it happened to his own daughter, he believed was, was in favor of. Yeah. The part I want to point out, and this is just from. To me, I think I can draw a parallel to miscarriages. We did all the right things. We decorated a nursery. We planned a celebration. And sometimes at night, she would sing an old lullaby. And I think that that happens, unfortunately, to families everywhere with miscarriages, with adoptions that fall through, with stillborn babies, um, where you do all the right things and sometimes the universe has other plans for you. And I think that this is a very poetic way of reminding us that life itself is fleeting and very fragile, especially in infancy. And this is where I think he, I don't think that the doctor necessarily redeems himself, but I think it gives us a little bit more insight into him as a soul, as a character. Yeah. It humanizes him. Yeah. And, and that's what I really like resonate with. I mean, just because, you know, you don't know what 
you know, what would have been and, and wishing and hoping. We never will. Yeah. Wishing and hoping won't change that. Um, and so, you know, but that, but that also leaves you in a, in a, what, you know, what's next kind of, um, mentality. Um, and for him, you know, he poured himself into his work and forgot about, not forgot, because, but I don't like, think he ever forgot. No, I, I think forgot is the wrong word, but um, he refocused and put all of himself into um, once there, you know, once there were rumors that Celine was alive, he threw himself into saving Celine, saving the child that he couldn't save himself. I agree. Um, and for, for me, that's, that's a very redeeming because, you know, he, he, again, we've talked about it. We've almost, we're starting to beat a dead horse at, at this point, but you know, he has done horrible things, but when, when you get this perspective that humanizes him, you understand that he did what he thought was right in order to accomplish the goals. And even though he did the, some of the wrong things, he, the, the goals that he, the things that he accomplished are it's like we still, said, it's like we, it's like we said, he was doing it with a sense of purpose. Yeah. He had a plan that he was trying to set in motion that would save everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he tries to apologize her, but he's so racked with sobs that he completely breaks down. And Cress is kind of overwhelmed and doesn't really know how to respond. She's basically waited for this moment her whole life. And now that she's, now that it's conf- now that she's confronted with it and it's this doctor who she kind of has a weird relationship with and she doesn't know if she trusts him and he does lunar trafficking and stuff like she feels kind of um conflicted i think so her father is alive but he's dying and she's yeah. she's never going to see him again yeah and and it's probably i mean you already just said, you, I mean, you just said it, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can just imagine how many thoughts are flying through her head. Like, well, what if this? And what if that? And what if this? Yeah. And, but she'll never get any of that. Um, and that's what she's hoped for her whole life. She always just wanted to have. A well, family. we saw all of her. We saw all of her. Um, daydreams of having a family. Yeah. So the doctor tells her that he loves her, that he's always loved her. And again, he apologizes. And all Cress can manage to say is goodbye, which again, heartbreaking. On the other side of the glass, the doctor sobbed. 
He did not look up again, but he raised a shaking hand in farewell. The tips of his fingers were shriveled and blue. And that is the end of the heartbreaking chapter 53. Yeah. I feel like I need a hug. (laughs) I wish I was in Mississippi so I could give you a hug. Oh, as soon as I leave this room, I'm going to, I'm going to demand one from my husband because that's <laughs> one of the many reasons that he's available to me. Um, so let's talk about your chapter title. Okay. This time I'm going to give you the right one. <laughs> okay. Okay. So my chapter title is The Kids Don't Stand a Chance by The Vampire Weekend. Um, and I picked this one purely because it coincides with my quote. Um, but also it was the first thing that I thought of when I heard that line that the Empress doesn't stand a chance. Um, and the song is actually, um, funnily, like it reflect like Vampire Weekend actually wrote it to reflect on the machinery of capitalism and all like the remnants that like basically give you a privileged life funnily enough mm-hmm. like i just <laughs> like i read that and i was like huh that's very interesting um uh because i you know i wouldn't expect that if you just like are listening to a beat um but I mean, it's basically just, uh, it repeats, you know, it's like the, it talks about all these different, uh, um, and now like, yeah, I guess that's the, like, what is the word that I'm looking for? Um, (laughs) but, um, I mean, it's all these different, um, allegories that you know are similar to you know they remind you of different time periods in our history um you know the first verse is uh says a devastating backstroke all the way from france with shiny shiny cufflinks a shirt sleeve to enhance um and it's basically a reminder of um, that, you know, of slavery and all of these, uh, visualizations of back in, you know, the 1700s of, you know, what the upper class thought of slavery and all these things. Um, and, how powerful people have denied others the opportunity to enable themselves. Um, and so it's just very, it, it's a very fitting song. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the song that I, that I picked for my chapter title. Um, so what was your, I, um, what was yours? I chose Epiphany by Taylor Swift um, for lots of reasons. Um, One of the biggest reasons I chose it was because the lyrics, I think, really 
connect with the doctor. Um, there's several men. It's, it's actually about her grandfather during World War II. But there's a lot of lyrics that I think coincide with the doctor, especially with you I serve, with you I fall down, watch you breathe in, watch you breathing out. Um, something med school did not cover someone's daughter, someone's mother. I feel like the doctor is one of the most heartbreaking deaths in the series because we have such conflicting emotions about him and we learn so much about him in this chapter and we like Cress don't really have the opportunity to absorb all of it before we say goodbye to him as a character. And I, I think that, you know, it's kind of a missed opportunity to to really understand his character and have the opportunity to forgive him before he dies. Right. And yeah, yeah and I think and I think that we need that to like have closure and uh, understanding and closure for I was the character. Closure myself. So yeah, hundred percent agree. Um but like under but you can't have closure without understanding why he did it. Right. And so I think that in that closure, we get that understanding and that, like, his side of the story. Um, and and that helps him um, kind of come to terms with everything that has happened in his life and everything that he has done in his life and how it's affected other, not just him, but other people. Um, I think that that... I completely agree. Um, it's very I, I I I actually love that song. So um I'm I I and what's interesting is that I love that song and for the longest time, like I had read the lyrics, but like hadn't actually paid attention to the fact that like it was talking about like the nurses on the front line. Mm-hmm. And I was like and then I read something and I was like, Oh, that's what it's talking about. Doink. Like, why didn't I think of that before, Ruth? <laughs> um, but I, it, it is, it is fitting because, you know, it, it is, you know, all the things that happened in his life are things that he was not taught in school. Right. You know, they, these are all things that happened that, you know, you aren't prepared for in life. Right. Um, and you just have to figure out how you're going to handle them. Once you come across them. Once, yeah. You're not prepared for it. So how, how, how can you, you know, you have to respond to it in the way that your moral compass directs you. Exactly. Um, which is why I think it's so important that we get this understanding. And this of, information. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we didn't, um, it would, it, it wouldn't necessarily, I think, I think if we didn't get it, it wouldn't um, make the story necessarily feel incomplete. Um, but it, but it, it might would. make our journey, I think it would make our journey with Dr. Erlon feel incomplete. And yeah. I think it would make his death less emotionally impactful on the characters and the story itself. Right. And, and we wouldn't necessarily know like what he had sacrificed by, by, by letting himself be left in, left in that room. Um, 
you know, by letting himself potentially be, like Thorne said in the last chapter, be tortured by Lavana. Um, we don't really under we wouldn't really understand the the implications of that, right? Um, uh, what was your quote for fifty three? Um, yes, I'm going to try to not keep it. Uh, we we've already tangented enough. Um, like I think I said, uh, we we've just shy of beat the horse, uh, dead horse. So. Um, Okay, so my quote is, if she becomes empress, Earth doesn't stand a chance. Um, And that's actually my first quote. Um, And my second one is, um, Miss Lynn, Mr. Wolf, Crescent, I've hurt you all in some way, but at least partly responsible for some tragedy in your lives. And I'm sorry. So, um... Yeah, I just re- that just really resonates with me. Um, but then also, of course, my first quote wraps into my chapter title. So, yeah, um, yeah Earth doesn't stand a chance. So my quote was, please be safe, my crescent moon. I love you. I do love you. Again, we beat this whole dead air lawned thing with a dead horse. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not going to keep going. I was just bad by what happened with Dr. Erlond and Cress. And I felt like he deserved to have a quote in this chapter. So that is my quote for this week. Um, no, I just, I just had to laugh at the way that you said uh, beat this dead airland with a dead horse. <laughs> well, we can't. We've just we've talked about it so much. <laughs> well, I chapter. mean, like it feels excessive at this point. I mean, yes, but also like the irony of that of that statement, right? Um, just <laughs> is um, funny. So, this week there was one Easter egg and the bonus hair. The bonus word hair appeared five times. Next week we're going to cover chapters 54 and 55. Don't forget that this is your last chance to enter the secret listener giveaway, which ends February 28th. Ruth, where can people find you on social media if they would like to do so? Um, So, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I... And mostly, I have two accounts, but as we stated earlier in the podcast, I have been on a uh, a wonky reading hiatus, so there isn't a lot of content on Twitter or on my second Instagram, because those are supposed to be book-related, and so I have failed. Um, <laughs> but good thing it wasn't like... I am getting sponsorships or anything like that to do any of that. So I'm not losing money or any of that fun stuff, but I am mostly on Instagram at, um, baby ruthless 90. And then also at spoiler alert queen. And then I'm on Twitter at spoiler underscore queen. Um, but yeah, come check it out. I'd love to have a conversation because I'm a conversation person. Right? (laughs) 
Listeners, please follow on Instagram, rate, review, and subscribe. Check out Patreon for a chance to be a guest on an episode with me and more fun perks. Um, And until next time, don't get glamored. Don't get glamored. Bye. Bye. The passages read for you today are from Crest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was spoiler queen Ruth Redmond. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pava, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com.